Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, oh, hold on a second. If I don't fix this, I could preach for two hours, so. There we go. Now we're good. You guys know it's true. Um, it's really good to be with you. Um, my name is Josh Walker. For those that don't know me, I know many of you do, and um, I know many of you were praying for me back in August and September, and I just want to say that I, I really appreciate it. Um, my family does as well. Um, I was very sick, and uh, yeah, the Lord saw fit to keep me here, and I'm thankful I'm here. Um, I, was, uh, I was ready to go, um, like honestly, here at that point, and I was ready to see the Lord, um, but He saw fit to keep me here, and I'm glad I'm here, and uh, thank you so much for all your prayers, and uh, that's a tough way to start. Let's just uh, change the subject. That's the best thing to do when you get emotional. Um, it's a good avoidance technique. So this week, um, we're going to be starting a four-week series on the Incarnation, that as we come into this Christmas season and we get to celebrate just the amazing birth of Jesus, the, the reality of what happened there is what we're going to be able to talk about for this month. And it's going to connect directly to what we've been talking about out of 1 Corinthians. I think you'll see that today, that... Um, it's amazing what, what God did in the incarnation. And, and when we talk about the incarnation, what I'm talking about is that reality that the second person of the Trinity, God from eternity past, came to dwell in human flesh, actual, real, true humanity. And the amazingness of that, and that when, when we think of the incarnation, it's not just the birth of Jesus, which we celebrate this month, but it's his entire life and his death and his resurrection that the incarnation was intended for all of that, and that's what we get to celebrate and what we get to talk about. And the incarnation is one of those things that you can never quite get your arms around. It's, it's so inconceivable and unbelievable, and I, I hope you get a little bit of a taste of it this morning of, of just how amazing it is, and in a sense that we, we just start to kind of get glimpses of it, but we really can't get our arms around what it was that God did and continues to do. And I think that's okay. In fact, I think that's kind of the way that it ought to be. Now, I think the first step to really begin to get in your minds how significant the incarnation is, is to start by thinking this way. I want you to imagine that you're standing on the edge of a, of a great chasm, of a great gap, of a great canyon, and you're standing on one side, and this is a canyon that, that isn't just a few hundred feet or even a mile, it's maybe five, ten miles. You can, you can barely see the other side of this chasm, and it's deep, and it's dark, and you can't see the bottom. But you know that in order to be rescued, that you are lost on this side of that chasm, in order to be rescued, you must get to the other side. And so you begin on your side of the chasm, you begin to go this way, and you go miles this way, and then you go this way, and you're trying to find a way across, and that you realize that you are in a desperate situation, that you and all who reside on this side of the chasm are desperate because you cannot reach the other side. You see, that's the situation that we were all in prior to the incarnation, that we were separated from God, right? That because of our sin and our rebellion, that that separation, that chasm, that gap was so large and there was no way for us to get across. You know, when, when you think of something that's several miles across, you know, I don't care if you're the, the greatest long jumper in the world, you're going to get as far as I do. I might get five feet, some of you might get 10, 15 feet, some of you might get a couple inches. We're not going to get there, Right? And so you realize the desperateness of the situation, and I truly believe that the, the degree of thankfulness and appreciation that you will have for the incarnation 
is directly proportional to your understanding of how big that gap was. You see, if you look at that gap and you think, you know what, it wasn't that big a deal, my sin really didn't separate me that far, humanity wasn't really that messed up, then you look at the incarnation and you're like, okay, well, yeah, it was kind of great, but, but if you realize that it was so desperate and so far apart, then you realize what an amazing thing it was that God crossed the gap. Right, that he sent his son to come to our side to dwell and that by the greatest cost ever, by his death, he built the bridge back. Right, that, that's why you have to start there is because the incarnation doesn't make sense and, it, and you don't see the magnitude and the beauty of it unless you understand how significant and how wide that gap was. And what I want to do this morning, and I think we're going to do over the next few weeks, is not just to think about the incarnation in terms of how thankful and amazing it is, but we have to ask the question, so what does that mean for us now? And for me, the verse that, that I've been having echoing in my head is what we've been going through in Corinthians, where Paul says, follow me, or imitate me as I follow Christ. What does it look like to imitate Christ in the incarnation? Because obviously, we're not in heaven crossing over to earth. We're not deity coming to dwell in humanity, right? That, that isn't who we are. So what does it look like for us to imitate Christ in what he did in the incarnation? And that's what I want us to think about this morning. My main point, I'm going to read it to you, and we're going to come back to it a couple times. So I want you just to listen carefully here. Because there's two parts. First of all, that out of a loving compassionate, humble heart, Jesus, our Messiah King, crossed an unimaginable chasm, void, gap, divide, rift in order to rescue us, His people. That's the first part. Therefore, second part, in loving, compassionate, humble imitation of our King, we as His people should each exhibit a joyful willingness to sacrificially cross lines, barriers, boundaries, borders, and limits for the sake of displaying and bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to get to that. That's what I believe the implication is for us, is a joyful willingness to sacrificially cross other boundaries for the sake of displaying and bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. is going to be our main text for this morning. If you need Bibles, raise your hand. Someone might bring you a Bible. They might not. Oh, someone's getting up, so yeah, someone will bring you a Bible. Does anyone need a Bible? Raise your hand. You can keep it. You're not stealing it. I've always thought that was funny. It'd be feel weird to steal a Bible, wouldn't it? Anyone need a Bible? Raise your hand. So you guys ran back and got them, and no one's going to raise their hand. There's one. I see that hand. I see that hand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Did you get one? No, he didn't get one. Right over here. There's another one. I see that hand. See, you all bow your heads, and all of a sudden their hands are going up like crazy. This is great. So Philippians chapter 2. As, as you're turning to Philippians chapter 2, Paul's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. And church, the church at Philippi and Paul had a very special relationship. Um, Paul talks about them as incredible partners in the gospel, that they were sacrificial partners in the gospel. And the reason Paul writes the letter to the Philippians is that Paul... He's writing to explain to them his situation and why he's in the situation he is, which is he's imprisoned. Okay, so for the Philippians, and, and I don't know about you, but if you were thinking, you know what, God's plan is to take the message of Jesus Christ, this good news about what he has done to the world, 
and, and Paul is the greatest messenger that we had seen of that message, why, God, would you put him in prison? That makes no sense to us, God. Why wouldn't you be having him just going around taking that message everywhere he could? Why is he in prison? And so Paul is writing in part to explain to them why his situation is the way it is, and we're going to come back to that in a little bit, because I think it's crucial to us understanding what God calls us to do as well. So let's start by reading verses 1 through 11 of chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, So, if, or you could really read since, since there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So he tells them, look, do all this stuff. Why? Why should you do all this stuff? It's here where he transitions to talk about because of what Jesus did. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." God, I pray that you would help us to understand what it is that you did by sending your son, what it is that your son did. I pray that you would help us to understand and be changed because of it. We pray in the name of our Savior, King Jesus. Amen. That when, when you look at the reality of what it was that Christ did there, kind of in verses 6 down, is that he said, I, I'm not going to hold on to my position, that before he came, he, he was deity, right? And he, he said, I'm not going to hold on to this and resist coming in human flesh, but instead it said he emptied himself and came in the form of a servant. That if, if God was going to come and dwell as a human, would you expect him to come as a king or as a servant? We'd expect a king, right? But instead he came as a humble servant. He was born in the likeness of men. He was found in human form. I think key phrases there. That, that he was truly human in all the things that that means. Right? Do, you, do you think about the fact that Jesus, the, the God of the universe, came and actually was a baby, came through a normal birth canal, pooped his diaper. I don't know if they had diapers back then, but whatever it was they did, right? he had to grow, he had to learn to walk, he had to go through puberty. God had to go through puberty. <laughs> and the, the reality, he got hungry, he got fatigued, right? All of these things that... The reality that he took on humanity, it was truly human. He had to learn, he had to grow, all of those things. And we can only imagine what that looked like. Now, the question for me as I looked at this is I thought, why did Jesus do this? What, what was his motivation? Because for me, I think if we're going to follow in his footsteps, we don't want to just do the same thing he did, but do it for the same reasons that he did. So to me, it was crucial to ask the question, what was it that drove Jesus to do this? And I think there's a number of answers, and I'm going to give you five that I've thought about this week, but there's more, there's more than this, but I think the primary one was this, that Jesus did this, he was willing to do this because he had a passion for the glory of God. 
And when I say the glory of God, sometimes that's just a nebulous concept for you. When I say the glory of God, this is, that, that means that God takes and puts his character on display. That he takes his love and his justice and his compassion and he wants to put it on display. And you see, from the beginning, God's creative purpose was to uniquely put himself on display through us, through humanity. That's why he created us different, right? Some of you more different than others. I'll be one of those. In my family, if we say you're weird, that's the biggest compliment you get. So, yeah, some of you are like that too. I get it. But he created us in his image, in his likeness. And it was because he wanted to take and put on display what he's like. You see, the rest of creation cannot display certain things about God. It doesn't display his love and his compassion, his justice, his mercy. Right? We can go on and on. All these attributes of God are only put on display in creation through humanity. And, and Jesus knew the plan was for humanity to be able to do that. So he said, I'm going to come because I have a passion for the, my character, for the character of the Father to be put on display through humanity enough that I will come and rescue and redeem them. You see, that was his passion. That's what drove him. And you see, for us, we have to recognize that he, he cared enough to rescue humanity, all kinds of humans, because he knew that within each one there was that, the, the ability to display the character of God. And that's what he cared about. And you see, Jesus did it because he kept the big picture in mind. Right? Hebrews tells us it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Right? Sometimes, you know, as Christians, we're like, oh, you know, we're supposed to be all happy through our suffering. Not necessarily. But we do need to see that the long picture that, that what God intends at the end, the joy that is to come, keep the big picture in mind. The second thing that motivated him, which is clear here in Philippians chapter 2, is his humility. Right? It was his, his willingness to say, I have all the rights. Right? We talk about rights. There's only one being that has rights, that is God. Everything else is given to us from him. And Jesus said, I have all the rights and I am going to set them all aside in order to do this. That is the greatest demonstration of humility we're ever going to see. So it was out of his humility. The, the third motivation is love. Right? John 3.16, the verse that more people know than anybody else. You know, thanks to the guy in the end zone. It says, for God so loved. And we often think of that as like, oh, he loved us so much. The word so there doesn't mean that. It means in this way. For God in this way loved us that he. You see, it, it was the demonstration of his love that he sends his son. And Jesus, over and over, a fourth motivation was obedience. That Jesus said, I have come to do the will of my Father. And I will do exactly what he asked me to do. He talks about, you see, his desire was to please his Father, to fulfill his plan. That there was a plan, there was a mission that he was on. And he says, I have come to fulfill that mission. A fifth motivation is a desire for justice and righteousness. You see, from Genesis 3 on in the story, we see injustice and unrighteousness and wickedness and evil, and it gets worse and worse and over and over. And that for Jesus to rescue humanity, he also had to fix everything there. That he was coming in order to redeem and set it all to rights. You see, one way I think to think about Jesus is like a, a mighty warrior who is on a mission. And it was a mission where he was passionate about justice and righteousness, and he came in order to set all of that right. So 
For me, those are some of the things that I think was motivating Jesus and we're going to come back to because I think it ought to drive us. But then what did he do? When I think about all of the boundaries that Jesus crossed, the lines, the, the chasm that he came across, this is some of the things that I thought about this week. Is that he went from being the king to a humble servant. He went from heaven where he received ongoing worship minute by minute to earth where he was ridiculed, spit upon, beaten, and neglected. He went from exaltation to humility. He went from being limitless to being limited. He went from deity alone to deity forever, forever united with humanity. That never changes. He went from one in whom infinite wisdom rests to having to learn things. Right, all those things we talked about earlier, he had to learn to walk, right? Luke tells us that he, he grew in stature and wisdom. This is inconceivable to me, right? To, to think about what that really meant. And, and sometimes we, we so want to magnify the deity of Christ, which we absolutely should. He never gave up his deity, that we sometimes neglect the fact that he was truly and really human. He went from having never experienced temptation to experiencing the fullness of temptation yet without sin. That's why he experienced the fullness. He never gave in. You see, Jesus crossed these incredible boundaries, and the result of that, the, the result of the incarnation of him coming and doing that is really the climax of the biblical story. Right now, we just live in the conclusion. That you see this buildup in the, the reality that, that humanity has broken things and has sinned and has created this gap and cannot fix it and man just gets worse and worse and he enters in and the incarnation is the beginning of that climax of the story which is Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Right? And so he had to do all of that in order to bring this thing to fruition, to bring the plan to fruition. And now, once for all, we have that bridge across the gap. For all that will trust in Christ, that will put their faith in Him as their King, we can bridge, we can walk across the bridge to the other side of the gap. So I get to the point where I say, so what? So what does that mean for us? Like, it's one thing to be amazed, and I hope to some degree you, you just begin to dwell this week on how amazing it was that God came as a baby in a manger. Like, I hope there is some awe and some just, you, you just begin to dwell on how inconceivable and crazy that is. And I hope you're thankful for it, but I hope it does more than that. I think it needs to do more than just that. We have to ask, what does it look like for us to be imitators of Christ? And for me, the question is this. If Jesus was willing to cross that big of a divide to rescue you, to rescue me, what divides am I willing to cross? What divides are you willing to cross in order to bring that same message, to display that same message to others? None of us can cross a divide nearly as big as what Jesus did, but I'm just asking you, are you willing to cross the street? Jesus came from heaven to earth. Are you willing to walk next door? Right? There are divides that he wants us to cross, and I want to spend some time thinking about that. And I want to read to you again the second half of that main point, is that because of what Jesus did, therefore we ought to do this, in loving, compassionate, humble imitation. Right? That's the way we do it. Of our king, we as his people should each exhibit a joyful willingness, not a grin and bear it willingness, a joyful willingness to sacrificially cross lines and barriers and boundaries, for the sake of displaying and bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
To me, that is the implication. That, that is what it means for us as followers of Christ to imitate him in what he did in the incarnation. So what ought to be our motivation? Well, well, in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2, he, he was telling us a number of things, right? Paul says you ought to have this humility and this selflessness and be other-focused. All of those things are the, the things that you should do. And as I, as I look back at that list, too, of what motivated Jesus, I ask myself, like, do I have a passion for God's glory like that? Do, do I have a passion for God to be put on display to the world, for his character to be seen to the world to such a degree that I'm willing to do that? You see, if, if you're having trouble, and as we talk about different kinds of lines that I think God wants us to cross for the sake of the gospel, if you're having trouble doing that, don't just grin and bear it and force yourself to do it. That's the worst thing you could do. What you need to do is go back and say, God, what is it in my heart? What is it in my motivations that's wrong that hinders me from doing that? Right, so that's why to me it's so crucial that we talk about these motivations because it is where this needs to begin. It needs to flow out of that. It has to be a joyful willingness to sacrificially cross those lines, not this, uh, I hate those people, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's God, give me a love for those people. Give me a love for those people that I don't want to go and talk to you. Give me a love for them. Change my heart. Help me to have a passion for your glory, a passion to see them display you so much so that it doesn't matter what it, how uncomfortable it makes me to cross that. You see, we have to have the big picture in mind like Jesus did. Do we, do we have that sense of for, for the joy set before us that we endure the persecution? that we endure the suffering, that we endure the discomfort, that we endure whatever it is. And, and, and for some of you, it's going to be a small thing. For some of you, it's going to be a much larger thing. Do we have that humility, that, that willingness to give up what we conceive of as our rights? You see, I think this is one of the most difficult things for American Christians in particular because we are so hung up on our rights and it's not about whether you have them or not. It's that in humility, Jesus gave up all rights. How can we not be willing to give up much smaller things for the sake of the gospel? You see, we, we try to hold on to things, and, and it's, it's, he wants us to do it because he wants us to be able to enter into where they are. Do we have a love you know, when I, when I said earlier that Jesus saw that humanity was worth rescuing, I just have a question for you. Do you believe that humanity is worth rescuing? And I don't just mean the people you like. Do you think all of humanity? I mean, you spend some time reading, thinking, humanity's messed up. Man's doing some really nasty things right now. And do you believe that humanity is worth rescuing? Because Jesus did. And it was for the sake, for the sake of displaying his glory, bringing that transformation. Do we love them enough to do that? Do we, are we willing to be obedient, lovingly obedient, and follow the will of the Father for us? Are we willing to be like Jesus and want to please our Father and follow on the mission? Do we care enough about justice and righteousness the way Jesus did? Now what should this cause us to do? Well, you look at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2, and Paul says, here's a bunch of things that this ought to do for you. Is it ought to create unity in the church. You ought to have unity of mind, unity of love. You should be doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. 
Wait, how much should I do, Paul, from selfishness? Nothing. In humility, count others as more significant than ourselves. Look out for the interests of others, right? You, you see in all of this, this is the picture of what Jesus laid out for us, right? And this is the way that we ought to live in light of it. And then he goes on in verses 12 through 18, right? He says, therefore, so he kind of smacks it on the beginning and then smacks it on the end here. You ought to do these things. You ought to obey. Verse 14, you should do all things without grumbling or disputing, right? No grumbling, no fighting about it. Parents, you should memorize this one for your kids. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. You hear me? It's not the right way to do it. Just kidding. All things without grumbling or disputing. That's what this ought to look like for us. We, we should hold fast to the word of life. And, and look what he says down here um, in verse 17. He says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Let me explain what Paul means there. When Paul talks about him being poured out as a drink offering, he's saying, look, even if I die, even if in my imprisonment here I die, here's what I want you to do. He goes, well, first of all, I will be glad and I will rejoice. And he says, and then what I want you to do, verse 18, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. You see, as we look at those who are giving their lives for the sake of the gospel, that are in situations where they're risking their lives for the sake of the gospel, do we see that and do we bemoan it? Or are we glad and we rejoice in it? You see, that, that Jesus came knowing that it would take his death in order to accomplish the rescue of people. And there are many that are followers of Christ that have had to walk the same path that he did in order to bring the message. And we ought to look at that and say, Lord, thank you for taking the message even though it took their life. That's what looking at the incarnation ought to do for us. And then Paul talks about these two different guys in verses 19 and kind of down through there. He talks about Timothy and he talks about this guy Epaphroditus. And sometimes are you reading and you're like, okay, so what, what's with these two guys? Like why? Paul doesn't just throw them in here willy-nilly. Paul, Paul's throwing Timothy and Epaphroditus in here for the purpose of showing us a demonstration of what he's talking about. Look at what he says about Timothy in verse 20. He says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for others seek the interests of others, or sorry, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He says, look at Timothy. Timothy is the kind of man that I'm talking about that, that puts this on display, what I'm talking about here, is that he has genuine concern for you, that, that we need to look more like Timothy. And that's what he's telling the Philippians. You guys need to look more like Timothy. Have genuine, not, not fake concern, right? Do we cross the street because, uh, yeah, pretend I care about you. We're good at pretending, aren't we? He says, no, Timothy had genuine, genuine heartfelt concern and put the interest of Jesus Christ above all else. And he talks about this guy, Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus was a guy that was sent from the Philippian church to help care for Paul in his imprisonment. And look what he says in verse 29 about him because he's sending him back probably with this letter. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. We ought to honor men like Epaphroditus. Well, what kind of men is that? For he nearly died for the work of Christ, 
risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You see, Paul's saying, look, there's people, you need to be more like Timothy, have a genuine concern, and you need to be more like Epaphroditus, be willing to risk your life for the work of Christ. But as I start thinking about what it was that Jesus did for us, I started thinking, what are all the different gaps? What are the things that God wants us to be willing to do? So I just want to ask you some questions. As I said before, are you, if, if Jesus is willing to come from heaven to earth, are you willing to cross the street to display the gospel, to bring the gospel? Are you willing to move to a different neighborhood? There's some neighborhoods that really need the display of Jesus Christ there. Are you, would you be willing to move to a different neighborhood, or is that too difficult for you? For some of you, maybe it's you need to move to another country, a difficult country. Are you willing to risk your kids' safety and maybe being exposed to sin for the sake of the gospel? You see, I know as a parent that it's one thing for me to be willing to sacrifice myself, right? to, to put myself in situations that might be difficult or I might get hurt, but it's a completely different thing for me to know that my wife or my kids might be in that same situation. What did God do with his son? Right. Are we willing to be, in, I'm not saying that you, you do stupid things, like, I mean, I'm not saying you, know, you try out and you try, and try to get hurt and that kind of stuff. I'm saying that are we willing to put ourselves into situations for the sake of the gospel, willing to cross those lines, go into places that are unfamiliar to us, may feel unsafe to us. You see, I think some of you moved to Simi Valley because you wanted safety and you wanted comfort. And the question I have for you, if that's the reality, are you willing to give those things up for the sake of the gospel? Jesus was, right? And he, he did it knowing exactly what was going to happen. And I think what he's asking us to do is to be willing to go in those same directions. Here's another one. I think for some of us, the, things that we, the thing that we hold on to most is a, a desire to be significant in some way, to be liked by people in some way. And I want to ask you, are you willing to work hard, to toil away in obscurity, for the sake of the gospel. You see, we're, we're so hung up on people liking us. Like, for some people, how many likes they get on their Instagram photo really determines how well their day is going to go. That's where we find significance, is in things like that. And I just want to ask you, if God is calling you to toil and to work hard in such a way that no one will ever see except for the Lord, are you willing to do that? Because there's a lot of you that that's exactly what he wants you to do. He wants you to toil and to work in such a way that you're going to be behind the scenes. No one's going to know until we get into the new creation and God will reveal and say, look, look at what I did. Look at what I did because you were willing to pray. Look at what I did because you were willing to, to serve in the ways that you did. Are you willing to do that? I, I think of the, all the different people that look different than us, that eat different things than us, that smell different than us. Are you willing to cross those boundaries for the sake of the gospel? Are you willing to eat things that you would never want to eat? Would you eat a dog for the sake of the gospel? There's some places where that's exactly what you'd be served. Would you be willing to, you know that's what it is there on the plate. Would you eat it because you know this is where I need to be? Right? By all means. Now, the carnivorous side of me, that's easy. Right, I always tell people, look, if God didn't want us to eat cows, he wouldn't have made them out of steak. <laughs> Flawless argument. Not really. 
So the question I had asked myself is, would I be willing to never eat meat again for the sake of the gospel? Because for me to reach certain people, to be in certain cultures, there are certain meats or meat altogether that that would be the way to reach them. Would you be willing to dress certain way for the sake of the gospel? And for some people, that's dressing more casually. For other people, that might be wearing a suit and tie. Would you wear a suit and tie every day for the sake of the gospel? (laughs) Awful for me. It really would. What are we willing to do? You see, there's all kinds of prejudices that we have that we look at different people and we say, I want to avoid that person because of this reason or that reason. It might be because of race. There might be certain races of people. It might be because of something in your past, something that you just say, I I don't like those people. I want to stay away from them. And Jesus is saying, are you willing to cross that for the sake of the gospel? I think some of you, when you see people with disabilities of different sorts, you want to avoid them. You don't know how to talk to them. You think that because they're disabled in one way, they're also deaf, so you yell at them. Hi, how are you? They're not deaf. It's okay, right? There's, there's people in different situations that we need to be willing to cross those boundaries for the sake of the gospel. Things that make us uncomfortable, we need to be willing to cross. And you see, there is no gap that you experience that is any larger than the gap between Jews and Gentiles at the time of Christ hated each other and what happened in the church that that god said i am reconciling and bringing these people together as one and so there is no gap that you have with somebody else that god isn't saying this can be made and be reconciled we can cross those gaps another one that someone was sharing this week is the gap of forgiveness are we willing to forgive those that have hurt us that for, for some of us, we have a gap between someone else that we are unwilling to cross because we're unwilling to forgive. And again, I look and I say, what did Jesus forgive us? Right? I think of the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, that, that if God forgives us that much, how can we not forgive this much? Right? That for some of you, there are people that you are living with unforgiveness and therefore the gospel is not being displayed, is not being communicated well, and you need to stop and be willing to forgive and cross that boundary. What about your health? Are you willing to sacrifice your health for the sake of displaying and putting? I, I think of the doctors who've been traveling to uh, to West Africa to help treat Ebola, and I think a lot of people look at them as fools, right? And several of them we know have caught Ebola, right? Would you be willing to sacrifice your health to go into a situation where your health is at risk for the sake of bringing and displaying and communicating the gospel because they were? And I'm not saying you all should go to West Africa, but there's situations that we avoid because we're afraid of what might happen to us. And God's saying, no, you need to step over those boundaries for the sake of the gospel. And the last one, which to me really comes right out of the context of this letter, is our freedom. You see, where was Paul? He was in prison. And what does Paul tell the Philippians about him being in prison? He says, for I want you to know that my situation has led to the greater progress of the gospel. You see, Paul's telling them that me being imprisoned has actually been God's plan to further the gospel. And so my question for you is, are you willing, would you be willing if God took you? I'm not saying you got to go find it, you got to seek it out, but will you with open hands be willing to even be at the point of imprisonment for the sake of the gospel? Because Paul was, right? Jesus endured even more than that. During Thanksgiving, I I went up to Boise where my my in-laws live, 
And at their church, we went on Sunday, and they said, on Wednesday night, right before Thanksgiving, um, we're going to have a special guest speaker. And many of you have heard of Pastor Saeed, who's from the Boise area, um, Iranian, who uh, went back to Iran and was imprisoned for his faith. And his wife was going to be sharing. And she came to share, and she, and she said, you know, it's been two and a half years since he's been gone, and we don't know what's happened with him. We've, we catch little details along the way. But what they have seen happen is that over and over in the prisons that he's been placed, people have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so they move him to another prison, and more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. So they move him to another one. And so, and she looked at us and she said, look, he told me when we, I first married him that he felt like God was going to use him to communicate to hundreds, if not thousands, of Muslims and lead them to Christ. And I thought he was ridiculous. You're an Iranian guy in Boise, Idaho. Like, how are you going to do that, Right? <laughs> She's like, what are you talking about? And she says, and now look at what the Lord's done. And, and she was honest. And here's the thing. It's not pleasant. It's not like she's saying, oh, it makes it so happy, you know, my young kids and I don't see my husband for two and a half years, but it's all good now. It's not all good, but she realizes that God is at work. And for her, she said, look, I, I hate communicating in front of people. I hate traveling on airplanes, but that's all I do now. She spoke in front of the entire UN assembly about the situation. She goes, look, there's, no matter how much money or influence, you, you can't get to speak in front of the entire UN. But God, through the imprisonment of my husband, got me there to be able to put on display and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with all those people. And so I ask you, are you, are you willing to do whatever it takes? And now here's the thing, and I, I think God is so good about this, is that for some of you, the step looks about this big. You're not used to crossing these lines. And what God's asking you to do is to say, I just want you to take that little step. I just want you to cross that little gap. So don't get the big thing in your mind like, oh, I, wouldn't, I don't want to go to prison for Jesus Christ. What is the thing that God is asking you to do? What's that little step he wants you to cross? Because what he'll be faithful to do is he'll get you used to crossing that little gap. And then he'll say, okay, I want you to go a little farther now. Right? And he'll start to mature you and you start stretching. But he doesn't, what happens is we start to get comfortable. Like, this isn't too bad. Like, I'm, I'm good with this guy. And he says, okay, time to go a little farther. And you're like, oh, I need to put on a different pair of pants if I'm going to go very much farther. But um, stretching out. Right? And God just keeps saying, I, I want you to cross larger and larger gaps. And so, what is it that God is speaking to you this morning? Who is it that he wants you to be willing to sacrificially, joyfully, cross a line for the sake of the gospel. And here's the thing. This has to start here. I think of most of the time I've been talking, you've probably been thinking about people out there. But the reality is we're not very good at this here. Inside the body of Christ, we have to be willing to cross the boundaries, accept and love and care for one another. And that was where Paul started, right, in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. He's talking about unity in the church. You see, because if we can't live like this, if we can't be willing to uh, put others' interests in front of our own and do all that and to cross different boundaries within the body of Christ, how are we ever going to do it out there? This is where it has to start, and then he wants to lead us out there. My prayer for us is that as we contemplate the incarnation during the month of December, that we as a church would begin to look more and more like him as those that are, are willing to put aside our own interests for the sake of others. My prayer is that we'd become known as a people that love sacrificially and compassionately 
and cross those boundaries. I just want to say it again. Here is what it's all about. That out of a loving, compassionate, humble heart, Jesus, our Messiah King, crossed an unimaginable chasm in order to rescue us, his people. Therefore, in loving, compassionate, humble imitation of our King, we as his people should each exhibit a joyful willingness to sacrificially cross those lines for the sake of displaying and bringing the gospel. That's my prayer for us. Let's pray. God, you know you know what my heart's been, Lord, and you know how much this, this has spoken to me of what you want me to do. And I pray, Lord, that this morning by your spirit, you speak to your people that, Lord, as, as we celebrate the amazing reality of Jesus being born in a manger, that we would never forget what it took and why you did it. And may you lead us to be different, God. God, I, I ask that because, Lord, no matter what I say, no matter what we do, it is only by the power of your spirit, Lord. We are, we are desperate people. We are people that live in fear of things. We are people that have anxieties. And we pray that you, by the power of your spirit, would overcome those things, that you would lead us in a walk of faith to put you on display to the world. May we be a faithful people to put you on display well. We love you so much. We're so thankful that you're patient with us and that you're gracious to us. We pray in the name of our great Savior, our great Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.